Hello, hello, Will. Will, are you there? <laughs> yeah, here oh. we go. Okay, uh, he- hear me out. Okay, yeah, what's I going know- on, man? What's going on? It's nice to hear from you. It, it is. It is beautiful to hear your voice. I know sometimes I'm not, you know, making any accusations or anything like that. But sometimes a script comes across your way and maybe for various reasons you decide that this is not a movie that you'd like to do but what you got for me i've heard that quentin tarantino has a movie that he's making he wants you to star in his movie it's called django unchained it's about a slave that is freed by a bounty hunter Okay. They team up together to go mm-hmm. and get the slave's wife free from this huge plantation Ooh. that's run by Leonardo DiCaprio, who's also signed on to be in this movie. Samuel Jackson okay. is in this Leo. movie. Will and Leo. Oh, and Sam Jack. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, yeah. you get to blow up a plantation. I've already tentatively agreed to a Do meeting I... with, with Quentin. Okay. I just, I just need to hear... A yes from you. Ha ha. Okay. Coming back Big Willie style. I love it. Ha ha. All right. I'm looking through the script over here. <laughs> it doesn't look like I kill the villain. I don't I don't get to kill the slave owner, but I blow up his house. I yeah. get that. Right. But right. I don't I don't kill him. No, yeah. My friend kills him. Christoph Waltz does that. Okay, so um how can we make this so I kill him? <laughs> yeah. You know they want that big willy explosion. Why don't we just leave him in the house, blow him up? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I don't I, I don't think that's the movie. Well, I think, you know, Quentin is he's a visionary. He he probably has a reason. Yeah, for... yeah, 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 yeah. I understand that. But I also got, you know, I got three children, you know, I got a wife. <laughs> you yeah. know, Jada. <laughs> yeah. You know. So I... uh we gotta we gotta make things happen, okay? I'm about doing things, you know. I got this script by this man, M. Knight. You heard of him? Won an Oscar for The Sixth Sense. All right, so I I see this script right here. It's called called After Earth. Guess when it takes place? After Earth. Oh, it's on the title, baby. It's in the title. I can't even, I can't turn that down. And my boy's going to be in it, along with his pappy. You can't be mad at that. I just, uh, you know, well, I I hear what you're saying. And I get to rap at the end of this one. Come on. Do I get to rap at the end of Django Unchained? I think not. Unfortunately, that's not something that Quentin has agreed to. But I, I hate, mm. I hate to bring up the M word. I know you don't like to hear it, but I just want you to remember the last time a movie of this quality passed your way, and then you oh. decided oh. to make a movie. We're trying to trying to bring up the past. You talking about the Matrix, mm. boy? <laughs> how much money? How much money did Wild Wild West make? It made money. It might not, okay, it might not be good. It might actually be one of the worst things I've ever seen projected on the screen. But that's okay. That's okay. You know, my boy Kenneth B. Baranoff, he got that money. He got that check. Kevin Klein not looking mad. Selma Hayek got a new house on her house. Ain't nobody mad at that. I think you should be thinking like that. I think you should be thinking about Wild Wild West 2 and stop bothering me with this Django Unchained bullshit. All right? Now let me go ahead and take three of my new my son's new album. Oh, I'll 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 talk to you later, Will. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna talk much later. You're gonna talk to me after Earth.
You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is the podcast where we look at all these wild white savior movies. We break down the white savior trope in film, and then we recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. We have we have another great episode, I think, today, because we were talking a little bit before we got started and like just hearing some of the opinions. I feel like this is going to be a good conversation. But today... Joining us on our show, we have another special guest. Again, I always do this. Let me introduce myself. I'm Jordan Clark. I'm your host. Uh, and then my co-host is Cameron Mason. And today we have a very special guest. We have Feek on with us. His YouTube channel, Feek the Signifier, is tremendous. If you haven't checked it out yet, he Definitely really dives check into that out. Definitely check that out. just a lot of different things corresponding around media and just race and stuff that we're seeing in the world. If you... You may know him if you saw his Bo Burnham video that came out recently that uh, blew up pretty quickly. A lot but... of people saw it. I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> but even if you if you saw that and you haven't watched the other stuff, like go back and watch through some of the other stuff because there's a lot of can, good stuff. Can I get channel. some love for my, uh, damn, I can't even remember the name of it. That's why the <laughs> For my baby boy video. Yeah. I, uh, I, every other video that I was like really passionate about has found a wave within the wave I've gotten, but that baby boy video, I didn't change that thumbnail like four <laughs> times. It's, it's, it is just not, it's just not, yeah. Well, tell the tell the people a little bit about yourself and what you do on your channel. Yeah, so um, I am Feet the Signifier. Uh, I do cultural, social commentary uh, through a black lens. I try as much as possible to speak to experiences, interest, and just important things around black men specifically. But that, you know, that runs the the, the range of a lot of things. Um, and, uh, and I do everything while trying to talk explicitly about movies or music. Um, I still haven't figured out an excuse to talk about video games yet. I don't know, it's just not enough. Not enough meat to that bone, or maybe I'm just old. Um, <laughs> I try to upload every two weeks. Uh, that is probably not going to happen for the next month and a half, but there's a nice little back catalog of things to look into. And uh, yeah, follow me on all the social media stuff um, and check out the channel on YouTube. For sure. Well, you chose a movie today that I feel gets brought up a lot, but there's there's some contention around it. One, because of the director and people's love for the director. So a lot of people are kind of like, oh, well, yeah, I love him so much. And also just because it, at first glance, you might say, but the main character of this movie is black. So how is this a white savior movie? But when you when you kind of piece some things together, it's, it's, it's in there. So let us know uh, what movie we're gonna be talking about today and why you wanted to talk about it. So we are talking about Django Unchained. Uh, Part of it is because my last video was about allies and white saviors. And I've always had one particular reading of this movie that is stuck in my craw about just the way that tends to happen in film. And so when you guys approached, I was like, oh, I want to talk about Django because I'm already be all up that movie's ass. Are we cursing? 
Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm already be all up that movie's ass anyway, so it's gonna be a perfect fit to, to get into it. And uh, that was that was that was the main thing I was supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, Cameron, you love this movie. You you said that wow, it just this is a movie that you're well, not throwing you under the bus. Put the bus back up over me a little bit, it's, Cameron. It's not, is this you? <laughs> this you <laughs> show me the receipts. Not not. Throwing you under the bus, but no, we're just right. just saying that, you know, this is a movie that I think people did connect to and did have, you know, yeah. an, an affection for. So it's not to say that, oh, and, and Cameron, you love this movie. Like, what's wrong with you? But more like I, I still yeah. also enjoy this movie, by the way. I don't want to make it. Yeah, I just sure. like the movie. Sure. Uh, it's a good movie. I enjoy it. I yeah. enjoy watching it for this uh, for the video. So. Mm-hmm. I'm but I think actually, as, as a person who's seen this movie several times, I'm surprised I didn't even take the opportunity to watch it that, this afternoon, even though I was, <laughs> I was busy. I was actually busy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I uh, did not take the opportunity to watch it in the last two days. I only had like really two days to watch yeah, it. That's fine. Uh, well, because I think I think what I was trying to get at is like we generally have not enjoyed the movies that we've watched for this show. Generally you know? too mostly. Yeah, like... Cool runnings, cool breaking, cool like two movies yeah. that were like, yeah, this is like you know, I would watch those movies again, yeah. you know, not necessarily like above other things, but like uh-huh. if they're on TV or somebody's like, oh, you want to watch this? It's like, yeah, it's cool, For but sure. you know, the white man's burdens of it all, the green books of it Oof. all, the you know, Awful. like so many of these other movies where it's like, oh, this is like we just watched Dances with Wolves. I don't know so if you could pay me to watch Dances with Wolves again. It would take some serious coin to make me you watch know. that bullshit over again. So this is an enjoyable film is what I'm trying to get at. And like true, a movie true. that you were like, oh, yeah, like I like Django. So, so I'll what... get into I'll, I will I will get into like what we usually do here is like when we when we saw the movie originally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I originally saw this. Uh, my family had kind of a thing where every Christmas we would go see the Christmas movie, the, the black Christmas movie, whatever we got. So, you know, before it's been like the preacher's wife, it's been uh dream girls was one year mm-hmm. uh whatever you know hollywood gives us one during the christmas season yeah. and best man's holiday best man holiday <laughs> i didn't we didn't see that in the theaters but i definitely <laughs> seen it <laughs> um but yeah one year it happened to be django unchained and actually uh shout out my pops this is the last movie i ever saw with my dad which is like well, mm. but or I, the last movie i went to go see with him in the theaters yeah because uh, that was like a thing we used to do uh, but he took us. He was like, "Come on, let's go, let's go see this shit." I was, which I was surprised because my dad. I've told this story on this podcast before, where he has looked me, my twelve-year-old self in the eyes during Star Wars: The Phantom Menace and been like, "You see that Jar Jar character? You see what they do to us black people on screen? You see that shit?" This same man, what, uh, twelve years later, it was like. You want to go see this Django on chain? I'm trying to, I'm trying to get down on this. I'm trying to see what. Wait, he 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 noticed it. Yeah, I had that dad too. Really oh, my dad was with was with the shits all the time. <laughs> literally out, left dad. the house ready to turn up on any white person who was <laughs> literally. He was like a white person could turn to him and be like, "I heard you was black," and he was like, "What you got to say about it?" <laughs> like, that was my dad that was my dad but he was like really hyped to see this one surprisingly and we all enjoyed it which was kind of nuts about it we, i thought he was gonna 
pick to like just be like, you see mm. how instantly, instantly this white man comes and free breaks his chains. I was like, oh, I, I thought I was ready for that. We didn't no. get any of that. We was just like, wow, this is really cool. And what a like a dope story. And the story progresses really interesting wise. And the performances are crazy. Like he was into it. And I was definitely uh, uh, relieved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I must say I left that movie relieved. <laughs> yep. But also uh, like thoroughly entertained. Like it was a Tarantino movie and it was. Yeah. It, it, it did numbers. It was awesome. Yeah, it's his, I think it's still his highest grossing film. It it is his highest grossing movie too, which is Oh wow, cool. I would not have known that. But I guess yeah. it's I guess no, that was his most commercial film. Yeah. At that time, yes. Yeah. And I think it was like it came well, in at like 400 Yeah. And Glorious dollars. Bastards was his previous film and yeah. that made 321 million. Django made 425 million. Yeah. You forget Tarantino such a big name. He's, he's one of the kept himself underground almost this whole time. He's one of the few filmmakers who can do this, yeah. come out with yeah. an original idea and literally just have that brand, his his brand behind it and draw audience regardless. But anyway, that's my experience with the, with the movie. Yeah. What about, did you see this in theaters when this came out? Yes. Yes. I saw it. Um, how old was I probably when I saw this? I think it was, I had to be like, let's look it up. It's 2012, so I'm 2012. Um, and, uh, you know, I, so, you know, I had a, also had a, a, a whole tap of Jay's father. <laughs> and so I have gained the whole tap eye, the Sharon guy of whole tap. Yeah, the third sure. eye. <laughs> Open that third eye. That third eye is open, bro. Yes, I've, I've had that chakra. And so I was looking, but actually I expected Tarantino, like Tarantino's a problematic figure, right? Like there's plenty of arguments to make about Tarantino. Mm-hmm. I tend to not, he's not high on my get him list. It's like, if you got, like I'm not reading no hot take blogs or videos about Tarantino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't have time for that, for that one. But um, but I still have to say, I feel like though Tarantino may not value black culture, he appreciates or respects it or something there's a, there's a there's a distance there's a closeness with him and blackness where he at least knows how to present it in a way that's not going to completely piss me off does that make sense yeah yeah it's exploitative yeah, yeah. still but it, it's like not going to make me get up out my seat and walk out the theater so it's, like it, i knew it's exploitative but he also presents it most usually in a exploitative film or exploitative manner it's right. like it's the point, but he's yeah. also doing that in doing yeah, that's it. the movie. He's not trying to put he's not trying to make it seem like he's doing something like I was more offended by the butler than anything Tarantino's done. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I so I went in there kind of thinking Tarantino's gonna be all right, he's gonna get it. And he did for the most part not like offend me with the sensibilities of like presenting slavery. It was a slavery action movie. Like you don't think that's not a combination you think about, but it mm-hmm. worked. Um, it did. I, I was happy watching the whole movie. I enjoyed the whole movie, but there was those couple of moments with shows, especially the end, that really was like, oh, you just you couldn't think another way to get us to this point that was gonna be less just like this my third eye this is all kinds I'm, of I'm, I'm interested yeah. to get into that i can't wait um, <laughs> so, 
So beyond that, yeah, it was it was a it's a movie that I appreciate and enjoy and enjoy on rewatch as well. Sure. When I saw this, similar like my family, we don't necessarily go see whatever the black movie is. Like, mm-hmm. if there is a black movie, it's like, well, yeah, we'll we'll check it out at Christmas. But we usually are like, because Christmas time is is an interesting film time where it's partially like okay, here's like the big holiday movie tentpole kind of like film because right. everybody's going to go see it at Christmas slash maybe this is where we sneak in one last Oscar, you know, potential film. And sure. like, you know, so like my family kind of tends towards more of the Oscar, like what, what's going to be, you know, a, a big film that's coming out, potentially Oscar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, everybody in my family you know, I don't I don't want to speak for everybody, you know, maybe maybe my sister might not be, but like everybody else I know is they they like Tarantino, they like all of his movies. I think my sister likes his movies, but you know, she might have other opinions as, as time has gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was a Tarantino fan, still am a Tarantino fan. He will get into a lot of the wild stuff that he has said in the past about mm-hmm. this movie in particular, but just in general. But two things I remember. One <laughs> This happened to me at Django, and this happened to me when I saw it, the newest it, not this, not part two, but the first one, is that there was just like whole families at this movie. So like, I remember there was a fa- like a black family walked in, and it was two parents, and then like three or four kids, but the oldest one was probably nine, and there was a baby, and there was like two other kids. So I was just like, what? huh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> like. I don't think this is a family film, but I'm not going to tell you what to do with your children. So if you want to bring them to Django and it's, it is one of those things, like, I'm sure this probably happened at Amistad as well, where one of these movies that's like, my kids need to see this. Like they need to see what it was like. So like, you know, expose them young and show them, but you know, Django's, not historically no, accurate at all. My folks <laughs> took me to see Rosewood, yo. Like, yeah. <laughs> man, that movie is not for kids at all. No, it was weird. And then, but I saw the same family when they left out, and they looked happy. So, I mean, I I can't <laughs> say what was going on, but <laughs> but then I I mean I I remember liking the film, but then mm-hmm. after not not like not thinking about it, but in the Tarantino canon, just being like. That was a good movie, but not it wasn't Pulp Fiction to me. It wasn't Reservoir Darks to me. I think he kind of did this better with Inglorious Bastards. Like, I think as a as what he's trying to get out here in terms of like exploitation meets historical revisionism, like, you know, I think that probably came off a bit better for for reasons we're going to talk about today. And then, you know, I, I like Jackie Brown a little bit better than this. And um but then there's other movies. I mean, there's movies where it's like, okay, that was like Kill Bill 2 is like, I didn't really like that movie. Kill Bill is probably my favorite Tarantino movie. The first uh, one. The and, first then you, one. and then you don't like the second one uh, not that much. Well, I think... That's funny. Well, I, second, I think a lot of people felt like that because the second one, the first one was such a fucking roller coaster. It's a blowout, yeah. yeah the first yeah. movie is the a blowout. The second one is like them sitting around talking, yeah. But we don't have to go over his whole filmography, but just to say that, like, you know, Django sure. for me kind of rests in the middle of, you know, it's it's not near his best, but it's definitely not near his worst. So, uh, you know what? I don't know. This may be my second least favorite as I'm trying. I just looked. Oh, wow. Right. wow. Y'all guys are wilding. 
Y'all guys are wilding. I'm sorry. It's Y'all guys are wilding. I'm, I'm about to look through them. I'm about to look okay, through so, them. Okay, so so while you're, while you're doing that, though, Cameron, where where is Django for you? Is Django the, is his it's best not, movie? It's not at the top. It's not at the top. Okay. And actually, Pulp Fiction is not even at the top for me, honestly. What's at the top? I would say Jackie Brown's at the top. Jackie Brown's at the top? Okay. It's like the it's the slickest, most straightforward version of his movie that you'll get, right? Yeah. It, the story is told straightforward with like a couple caveats towards the end when he re-shows you everything mm-hmm. during the robbery. Yeah. And then I don't know, I would say I would say Pulp Fiction's after that. And then I would probably say Django. And then I would say Kill Bill One. So now so my it's in it's my top three. It's in my where's, top three. But sure. where's Reservoir Dogs then? Is that not Reservoir Dogs? Yeah, yeah. Hot take. Yeah. Reservoir okay. Dogs is a fine we, we, movie. We uh, I love right. it. I love it. Coming out the gate high. Okay. Yeah, I've always seen Reservoir Dogs as like, okay, so like the story itself is kind of is really interesting, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way it's told is really interesting, but save for like a few scenes, it's shot and like presented plainly and almost boringly mm. like it, the movie is kind of boring until the 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 robbery goes wrong right to me yeah well no i mean i, mean, I guess it's a, i mean you know i i can see watching them, watching them but... sit and complain and talk about like your daddy didn't do do right by <laughs> me or you know blah 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 that stuff that is like so shit. wet yeah, that's that's what I guess it is a matter of perspective because it's, I'm a, matter, sure. it's, it's a matter of taste and perspective as I'm looking, but so I haven't seen Once Upon a Time or The Hateful Eight. Like, I have I, seen those last those two. I started The Hateful Eight and I fell asleep. Yep. So that's probably not a good sign. It's at the uh, bottom of my list for sure. Oh boy. Yeah, so maybe that so I'll I'll circle back to that. Sure. But as I'm looking, yeah. Um, the only thing I probably and this is not to say Django is a bad movie, right? Right, he's right. Just in Tarantino land. If I'm looking at his movies, I haven't seen Jackie Brown since I was a teenager. Oof. So it's, maybe, it's, maybe, mm, mwah, mwah, mwah. maybe I'll circle back to that to see if that's really. But my favorite is um Reservoir Dogs, probably as I'm looking, okay. or maybe Kill Bill Volume One. I don't know. But the bottom line is Django is the only Tarantino movie aside from Jackie Brown, which again I saw at I don't know. 14 or some shit. <laughs> probably didn't love it at 14. I would assume you wouldn't love that at 14. Yeah, it probably didn't. It probably didn't do much for me. Um, it's literally about getting old. <laughs> <laughs> but either, yeah, but um, the rest of the joints is like, it's, 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 it's perfect, edgy stuff. Mm-hmm. And Django was all of that. It's yeah. just like you, like somebody said to me, the characters in Django just aren't as in, engaging as the characters in these other movies. Sure. Specifically Django, who yeah. spent most of the movie with, you know, and mm-hmm. I get why it will be maybe in bad taste to write. Like, I can't imagine Will Smith as Django anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't count. And ha-ha, and then, right. 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 Too, yeah. and then write a terrible song that goes over the ending <laughs> credits. <laughs> right, so. Even though Django <clears throat> has a song from uh, Rick Ross, right? He did. Yeah. Django has the Rick Ross song. Django has a Rick Ross song and a random Tupac reinterpretation of like yeah. they mixed a Tupac song with something else that I was just like, huh? And then, and then there's and then there's a there's yeah, a RZA song part, yeah. at the end. Yeah, the RZA has the end song. Come on, yeah, like Django's got all kinds of shit going on, bro. Like <laughs> it's not it's not a crazy. bad movie. It's just I, it's not a movie 
you this the, it's the rule like well I, if the movie comes on tv and i'm not doing like i took a right nap right right the, the the tbs rules i like to call it, or the tnt yeah, rules i, love, I like to call I it with that. i'm gonna I'm still yeah. still there i'm gonna give you credit it, <laughs> if it's on well, tv and i'm laying down and i have something else to do do i find something else to watch or do i say oh it's and so Django passes that that text Sure, yeah. sure. But it doesn't get to the the level above that, which is, oh, I forgot, I forgot about this. So let me put pop that back in. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah. So let's. It sounds like there's a lot for us to discuss and talk about. So Cameron, give <laughs> us give us this five minutes of white bullshit for <laughs> for Django, just so we can get through because it's I, I mean i feel like it's a movie that a lot of people have seen multiple times but also just so everybody's got like a basis for us to kind of continue the conversation we're gonna get five one of these days um i want to try i want to try okay uh three two one go all right so it's texas just before like the civil war i'm thinking and we literally meet Django being transported from one plantation to another i would assume among other slaves they're on foot in the middle of like the texas desert they're just slaving through the desert literally and one one night in the middle of the forest a, a weird guy with a carriage with a tooth on the top <laughs> with a springy tooth on the top pulls over these these slaves and the the two brothers that are shuffling them through the desert and he is a this this man, Dr. King Schultz, the dentist slash bounty hunter, is hunting hunting them down. He he's got a warrant for uh what Django, right? He's got, yeah. he has some type of info on Django. He's got a warrant for uh the two men that are transporting Django. He's got a warrant for the Speck brothers. Yeah. Brickle, Brickle, I don't know, whatever they are. Yeah. He's got a he's got a warrant for the Speck brothers. So Ah, so this is where I haven't seen the movie recently. What does he do? What does he? I know. Tag me in. Tag me in. Tag I'm tagging me. you in. I'm tagging yeah. you in. All right. So in the he, first um, scene, terrible. He has a he has the warrant. He needs Django to identify the brothers. Um, yes. Yeah. Hijinks ensues. He the the slave masters get killed in spectacular fashion. Um, and then he kind of basically him and Django go on a buddy action comedy routine. For the next forty-five minutes, where they yeah. uh, kill one guy in a the saloon, then they kill the Brickle brothers. In the process, him and Django start to form a bond. He admires Django's natural killing ability. He's good at it. <laughs> he's good at it. Yes, he's, he's good, good at it. Um, him and Django, Django, he tells Django about his his wife. So that's uh, what. Yeah, that's where the plot kicks in because so the, the actual us. plot kicks in a good forty five minutes later. Yeah, it's true. It's true. After, but we have fun. That whole we, first there's tons cool. of fun to be had. There's tons you know, of fun to be had between there and then. We're lots, lots of killing between then and there. Lots of yep. killing. You know, uh, fly ass uh, Jamie Fox in the blue suit on the white horse. Yep. So uh, so so yeah. so I'll get so I'll get back into it. So all right, tag you back in. Uh, well, <laughs> and, and before you go, camera, just an important thing to note in that time period is that. Schultz has Django as kind of like in a weird collateral position because he's like slavery is oh, terrible. Yes. I hate slavery, but also I need you. But you, you know, are for a this, slave and I yeah. need you to stay a slave. But I will promise you your freedom. Yes, right. If so, if he's, you help me on this mission, yeah. right? And so they go to they go to Big Daddy's for the um these particular and Big, Big Daddy's Don Johnson, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Dude. So they go to the Tennessee plant. Basically, uh, he pseudo frees him. So he's he buys him like the fly blue suit you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, and Django is like all cleaned up, suave and ready to go. Yeah. Uh, he's got a gun by his side. He's riding a horse by himself. He's doing good. And uh, they go to Big Daddy's plantation uh, in order to. Uh, well, they, they they kill that dude. They kill. Yeah, that's when they kill the brothers. You got to get to Pope. You got to get to basically after they kill Big Daddy to yeah. the end of the movie. Yeah. Yes. So yes. <laughs> so they kill Big Daddy, and then he tells. After that, he tells Django tells King Schultz about his wife Broomhilda, who used to be on that plantation, and they they know that she might be at the Candyland plantation. She's somewhere in Mississippi. She's yeah. somewhere in Mississippi, and uh, they they learn that she is owned by the owner of that plantation, Calvin Candy, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. So they set out on a mission where King Schultz will free Django and Django will get his wife and uh, King Schultz will get his, get his bounty. So they go to Mississippi, go to this plantation. Calvin Candy owns this crazy big plantation where he's holding Mandingo fights. You meet him, they're holding a Mandingo fight in like a little salon area. And he's just sitting there watching it with like a cigar and booze and these men are killing each other right in front of their face. And here at four minutes. Okay, okay, I got it. I got it. I can do it. All right. All right. So King Schultz says, I have a I have a Mandingo fighter. His name is Django. He can fight oh, new fights. Wait, 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 wait. No, Django right? is Django is the prospector. He is brought in to Oh, that's right. He's he's there uh, to survey. He's yeah. already free at this point. Yes. Yeah, he's looking at the Mandingos. He's, he's brought he's him in as his, as his yeah, his fight. expert. And Schultz that's wants to right. get into the Mandingo fighting business. So that's why his his Django is the expert who's advising him about like terrible. no go for it keep going. <laughs> tag me back in. Tag me back in. I'm gonna, get I'm, I'm gonna tag you back in. All right, so they hatch a plan where they're gonna fake buy Mandingo and along with it Broomhilda. Everybody's happy ever after. Uh, Sam Jack's character, Uncle Whomever, sees through the bullshit. Informs. Oh, you, can't do, you can't do my man Sam like that. <laughs> Steve is a great character. Like, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to get you finish line. Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> It says, nah, they trying to play you, son. Don't let them play you like that. And then Candy goes wild. They end up having to pay wild money. To, they're still going to get out free without any problems. But then Candy takes the step too far for Shoals' sensibilities. Shoals suits Candy. Big-ass gunfight ensues. Only uh, Django and Broomhilda escape. Then they come back like a week later and blow the house up. And that's the end of the movie. They don't come back a week later and blow the house up. Was it a week later? How long? It's literally right then. <laughs> well, no, it's like no, a few, it came no back. he gets yeah. So after after Schultz shoots Candy and then he gets shot and the whole the shootout fight happens. Yeah. Dango surrenders because they're gonna kill Broomhilda. Like they got her at gunpoint. They take him. He's being tortured by uh, Walter Goggins. But then Sam Jackson comes in and he's oh, like, oh, the, no, yeah, I got yeah, something worse for you. That's a whole section of the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah when he has the, that's that's a whole section of the movie. Y'all can't forget that. That's yeah. not like yeah. real quick. No, yeah. He's like, I got <laughs> something worse for you. I got something worse. I'm going to send you to this like mining company where you just like yeah, mine until you die. Quentin Tarantino makes a random cameo because, of course, he has to as an as Australian movie. As an Australian, <laughs> he's, he's doing an Australian player. accent. Uh, so which is awful, but they blow him up. They literally yeah, blow they him do. Up. Django 
pulls out he has a, a bounty hunter bill from his first bounty that he collects and he uses it to trick he them by saying trick them yeah these people the are back on if, if you take me back like you can get this bounty this is like a whole bunch of money like you should you you're, you're leaving money on the table by just letting these people walk around so right. they set him free he kills them he goes back they had dynamite because they're yes. a mining company so he takes the dynamite he goes back he subsequently just murders every other Everybody. like slave trader in the house and uh, shoots the wife who like flies back into like another room. Um, That's great stuff. And then at, at the end, it basically is him and Steven, like him and Steven are the That's last the two. Showdown. That's so the showdown. He, he kneecaps Steven and starts talking his shit and telling them like, you know, this is the end. Steven's like, fuck you. Like, you know, you're never going to get away with this. You he calls him and uh, Steven calls him an uppity motherfucker before. Yeah. And then the, the, the house, house blows blows <laughs> up. Come on. I'm never going to forget that. I'm never going to forget him calling him. You uppity motherfucker. <laughs> Come on, man. It's like I remember <laughs> laughing so hard at that. So yes, that that is the plot. <laughs> that is the plot of Django. That is the, our really rough, yeah, slapshot retelling of the plot of Django Unchained. But we'll get into the scenes. Yeah. So the point of our conversation, right, to yes. kind of get get into the heart of things, is Christoph Waltz's character, Doctor Schultz, because this is a little like a little foreshadowing into things, like specifically you know when it comes to christoph waltz character because i did want to get this correct is christoph waltz got the academy award for best supporting actor but i think he also has the most screen time of any supporting actor winner part of that i think comes down to you know this movie works in kind of a weird way where it it's called django unchained django is is the star of the movie mm. but Christoph Waltz is kind of like the, the one of the driving forces of the movie and like a lot of his decisions come back around to affect Django, right? And so I think let's just why even wait? Let's cut right into it to the scene that I think exemplifies a lot of the things that I want to talk about today. And that is his last scene where he has basically secured the bag, right? Like even though Sam Jackson snitched on them and he was like, yo, they're trying to play you, Mr. Candy or Ms. Jor Candy, you know, they're, 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 they're fucking with you. Like, you know, we need to do something about this. He makes a big show of it, threatens them, you know, does all this stuff. But really, he's just like, give me the twelve hundred and get the fuck off my land. Right. And you can you can and you can take Broomhilda, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's not even like I'm not even going to do anything to you. Just give me the money. You're not getting the other Mandingo, but like you can take this woman you take and then, money and get the fuck you know, out of my right. face. And so, yeah. you know, Christoph Waltz is like, fine, you know, whatever is going to get us out of here, not dying. But he's having these flashbacks during the writing of the Bill of Sale and the Freedom Papers to an earlier sequence where a slave is being torn apart by dogs. Right. And it's playing like he's reached a breaking point, like he's reached his limit of how right. much of this that he can take. And so, you know, he's he's talking to Candy kind of throughout this whole thing. 
I want to get the name of the slave right. D'Artagnan. Uh, so, you know, he's asking him about like, oh, yeah, do you think Dumas would approve of this? And Candy's like, I don't see why he wouldn't. And he's like, well, he was black. So probably he probably would not have done that. Uh, and he's just like, you know, I, I don't give a shit. But there's kind of a, there, there's there's a pissing contest happening here between Candy and Schultz. Sure. That's kind of like, you know. I, I Candy is like, I'm going to squeeze everything out of this moment that I can get, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to make this as humiliating for you as possible. Like, I want to come out of this feeling like king shit, right? And so mm-hmm. Schultz is kind of like, you know, I I really hate this man and like everything that he stands for. And so it's, again, basically the bag is secured, right? Like he's done it. They're about to leave. Candy's like, hey, before you go, last thing in the South, how a deal is sealed and finished is we shake hands. And Schultz is like, oh, well, I'm not from the South, so I'm going to leave. And Candy's like, hold up. You're not from the South, but you're in my house. Right. So like this is how we do things here. If you want to leave, shake my hand. Right. And so they kind of go back and forth on it. And then at the very end, Schultz is like, fuck it. He shoots Candy. Right. And then he kind of turns to Django (laughs) and he's like, I couldn't I couldn't help myself. (laughs) <laughs> right. He's like, I, I couldn't I couldn't stop myself from doing that. Right. And so w- what I want to speak on specifically with Schultz as a white savior is getting into the, the idea of allyship. Right. I think I can't speak to Tarantino and I don't know if he is capable of this level of critique and satire in that. Schultz is almost the perfect representation of white allyship in the sense that for white people, respectively, when it comes to allyship, right, like they are brought up and socialized to be individuals, right? Like Mm. they, they view the world through an individual lens. They are not white people. They are whatever their name is, right? Like they are an individual human being. They're not responsible for the rest of the white community. They're not responsible for what happens with other white people. They get Mm -hmm. to make their own decisions and have their own, you know, like trajectory in life, right? Black people, other people of color, where we have to answer for every black person who does anything ever all the time. Everybody wants to know what's up with so-and-so or how you explain Kanye to me. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I can't, I can't tell you what's going on. Um, You know, right now people are like, what's up with Nicki Minaj? She's crazy. I don't know. She's saying wild shit. I can't explain it, but you know, like. (laughs) I got after the Bo Burnham video. I don't know. Did you, did you see the, have you seen the ally video yet? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like, I was going to have a, a section where I just had people read some of these DMs and it's like, (laughs) y'all did not get the point when I said it's Tuesday, cause I was not ready for, so how do we fix racism though, for real? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like all through like a good 20 of them. Yeah. And it's because of what you're talking about. Well, because specifically, right, for for Schultz, here's what's happening. And this is what happens with a lot of allies. And again, I can't say that this was intentional by Tarantino, but this is how I read the scene, right, is that when it comes to allyship, the goal of it and how it works or should work is like there is no reward at the end of the at the end of the trail. Right. Like you're not doing this for 
monetary gain, clout, or even just cookies, even just like a thanks for whatever, like none of that is, is, should be given to you, nor is it what the goal of it should be, right? But for white people, because of, again, talking about just socialization to see themselves as individuals, they're coming at it from a, well, what do I do and what can I do and what do I want? And like, what are my limits, right? Because mm-hmm. what's happening in the scene is that Schultz himself is being put down. Schultz is receiving humiliation and all this stuff. But, and so he makes it about him, right? But it's not about him. It's about Django and Hilda, right? Like what it, what it's supposed to be is Django and Hilda have suffered slavery, <laughs> right? You're suffering 10 minutes of humiliation, right? Like you're suffering just a little bit. Somebody's coming for you and making you feel bad. If you can't bear the brunt of that to then turn around and like, you're, you're the shield, right? Like you're supposed to be taking this abuse. And then after that, you know, you can be mad about it. You can be upset about it. You can be whatever, but like, they've literally been lashed and whipped. Somebody's just coming at you for a little bit here right but he cannot get out of himself get out of his own way get out of his own idea right he has to Mm -hmm. i mean he literally turns to Django and said i couldn't help i couldn't help myself i couldn't stop myself from doing that i couldn't stop myself from making this whole situation about me and how i feel right yeah and so i don't think that was Tarantino's intentionality because i don't think he was thinking about it that deep i think part of it was we have to get you out of here because you don't fit into the third act of this film yeah right okay <laughs> <That> <laughs> shoot all the people yeah Django no, is no the real screenwriter problems that's real yeah Django is the hero Django has to blow up the house alone get revenge alone Right, it's right true, off though. onto the sunset. It's true though, because so, it wouldn't it wouldn't sit right with you, the viewer. It wouldn't. Yeah. So we have to get Schultz out of here somehow. Because right? we'd we'd probably have a lot more to say about this movie's fuckery if King Schultz is the person who blows up the house at the end. Yeah. Or, or if he has anything to helps. do with it, right? Has, yeah, yeah. If he has anything to do with it, yeah, exactly. You know, so like he has served his purpose. He has freed Django. He has secured freedom papers for Hildy. He has you know, done all the things he needed to do from mm-hmm. a from a narrative standpoint. And now it's time for him to get out. Right. right. But looking again, looking at it from an ally perspective and a, and a white savior perspective, it's also like all you had to do was shut the fuck up, <laughs> shake the man's hand and walk out the house. Right. And you couldn't stop yourself <laughs> from doing that. And it's the same thing where you have white allies who like you know, we're, we're not doing slavery anymore, <laughs> but, you know, just the moments where it's just like, all you had to do was just get out of the way and not say anything, not do anything. But because you, you hate racism so much, you had to, <laughs> you just had to say it. And, but it's also this, this, like, if you, if you aren't actively doing something as an ally, right? Like, it feels like you're not, yeah being an ally when sometimes you don't have to do anything you just you just have to stand aside and let something happen and even and and sometimes take an l right sometimes being an ally means that you take an l in order for somebody else to advance right and again it's not about oh look at this altruistic thing i did like people should be proud of me but just like but that's the thing to do if you really want to be an ally. And in that moment, it was like the worst example of failed allyship because he literally, like if Django does not, the whole thing. yeah, if Django doesn't get out of that situation, 
like he's dead Hildy's dead like it's over you know what right. I mean so like the gamble right. and the risk of that situation isn't just we go to jail or you know like we lose out on some money or it's like literally their freedom and lives and like he could not stop himself from doing that because not because of anything other than this man has insulted and disgusted me personally mm. so much that I need to do something about it. Right. And, and mind you, two slaves die in the process, at least two. Yeah. There's a very explicit scene uh, in like the third wave of like, of like white shooters that come to the yeah. house. The first one, there's two slaves that just happen to get in the line of fire. Yeah. And like, it's yeah. very purposeful. It's like, so I so I'm of two minds. I'm wondering if Tarantino did it on purpose. The question is, why isn't it addressed? Yeah, is it not? Isn't addressed? it addressed that he shot those other two slaves? No. Why doesn't it address that? Show like why isn't there a throwaway line from Django that says, "Well, maybe like why he had to do like movie. why he had to do that." Yeah, like and so there is it a th is there no throwaway line? So that the audience gets to decide for themselves, and or, you know, I don't know. I want that, that to me. What what your interpretation of that missing piece? Yeah, would dictate what Tarantino's point was. Did he have I'm a actually, point? Or, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. I I'm actually interested it. in like how you're able to distill like all of the movie into what happens to King Schultz <laughs> at the very end. Cause literally like, so the reason we're here is cause this is a white savior movie and yeah. it's a white savior movie, literally in the first scene, <laughs> King yeah. Schultz comes and frees Django. He has been saved by a white man. Now he, this is a white savior film, right? Yeah. And he doesn't but, save him for any other reason than he needs him to do a job. Right. But all men are selfish. Everybody's selfish. Right. Yeah. So but he, like, he, but he even says like, it's another wrinkle of his character that doesn't get really discussed that much in the film itself, but uh -huh. it's similar to what we were kind of talking about with Amistad, where it's like, he's one of those white people who, yeah, slavery is bad, right? It's gross. It's grotesque. Yes. I hate it. Also, what do you want me to do? You and you, yeah, right, right, right. And you would hope this is an act of altruism, you know, his freeing him or in Amistad, uh, Matthew McConaughey taking up the case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's really to elevate their personage, right? Yeah. Like he doesn't want a slave. He doesn't. He there's nothing. He doesn't want to do anything with Django. He doesn't even necessarily want to have to free him. He's just like, oh, this is a key to something I can do. Cool to get the job done. But if Django was a free man, they wouldn't hang out. Like if if Django was just like no. a black man in his and who lived in his neighborhood, like they wouldn't be kicking it. Like yeah, and I be, guess that's yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. I guess that's what that makes their friendship like all the more unlikely. Yeah, right. The, the but, thing that stands out to me is how. And so here's the thing. I, I touched on this in the video. It's not the thing that bothers him so much about Candy. Isn't just that Candy's a brutal slave master is that candy so one thing they get over about shoals is that he's really into his german bag like yeah. or is it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever i think mm -hmm. it's german he's german, he's german. Yeah. okay he's really into his german bag like all the you know he calls him a sick freed and he's just so loves that Brumhilda speaks german 
he's attached his identity to his European, his I, his sense that Europe, the European culture and masculinity and refinement is so above what he sees in America. Sure. That's something he gets over throughout the movie. And so what bothers him a lot about Candy is not just the brutality of slavery, but the brutality of slavery matched with, we are high society too. We are equals, mm, me yeah. and you. And that's what Candy does to him in the in the uh, in the, those final scenes. Um, and the key there is the woman playing Beethoven. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's when he's having these flashbacks, it's juxtaposed with the sound of Beethoven. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's forcing him. You know, this this is very metatextual. I don't know what Carantino was thinking, but he did want to get this across. I'm sure this did. was too much. It was the combination of Beethoven, this the highest of European culture, with being in this slaver's house where he just saw a man get eaten by dogs. And how it's not about, oh my God, you're so brutal to these slaves, you have to die. It's, I have to prove that we are not the same. Right, I I think a bit of that also true, because he does, he does want to make a distinction for sure. He even says that, I think. But I think what really kind of gets King Schultz's goat about the whole thing, isn't necessarily the brutality, but his callousness about the brutality. About is Candy's callousness about the brutality. Like he's hosting these Mandingo fights in a salon. They're, Candy's sitting there smoking cigars and drinking brandy while this is happening, you know? Like yep. he, he whips slaves mercilessly uh, and, and, and like perform and like uh, what uh, sends the dogs after him and he's laughing. Yeah, he had Hildy in the in the. He's got a hot box that he just you know put, put slaves into. For... He just, yeah, exactly. And he's this is cute to him, and yeah. the whole concept of Candyland was that it it was a brutal plantation, mm-hmm. and that he revels in this brutality. Mm-hmm. So I think what is supposed to be disgusting for the audience, and I, by audience I kind of mean like the white audience who looks to be the the ally in this situation. They don't want this situation going down. They don't like slavery, right? So they see this movie and they see this plantation owner who is like, yes, brutal, but also callous and careless about it. Right. And I think that's what is supposed to be like, that makes you disgusting. It's very cathartic. You're disgusting. Yeah. It's very cathartic for the white audience that Shoals kills Candy. For sure. Yes. Yes. It's not Django who kills Candy. It's, it's Schultz. Schultz who does it because he's the altruist. Yeah. And so that actually solidifies that Tarantino didn't really know what he was doing with the whole scene. So I, I yeah. now have decided that <laughs> Tarantino wanted his white audience to have a feel good moment. So for them to be able to have shows, because the thing that flashbacks in my head, especially when you were talking earlier, is the riots of 2020 mm. and the numerous images of white people who you know don't live in those neighborhoods mm-hmm. destroying mm-hmm. property vandalizing stuff setting fires and that's right. something i witnessed firsthand that's something mm-hmm. i have homeboys in minnesota that were like no these white folks out were out here in in mask in coverings doing the most yeah and then they left right and we ain't got a target no more you know what i'm saying oh yeah. mm-hmm. um, and that, there's like there's lots of takes on it right i'm mm-hmm. not saying that there's like poor target like I'm not saying that, no, but there's no, 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 no. 
uh, a part to that conversation that still hasn't, in my opinion, really happened, where we come to the, the white folks that are our so-called allies and say, hey, riot in your side of town. Do not right. come to our side of town and riot on our behalf. Right. Well, because that that I guess that also extends into going back to, you know, the previous thought of like, you are upset, right? Like slavery is upsetting, right? Like watching yeah, George yeah. Floyd being killed is upsetting. Like it's not if you are a human being and you've watched these things, right? Like these are not things that you should enjoy seeing, right? Sure. Happening to anybody. And so you're angry and you're upset. We can we can kind of trace this a little bit to another scene where Candy's talking about, well, you know, every day I wake up and one of the thoughts that crosses my mind is like, why haven't you killed me yet? Like, why haven't these slaves killed me? Like my, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like there, there was a slave who raised me who for 30 years shaved my dad's face, you know, with a straight razor. And at any time he could have just killed that man. And like, he didn't do it. And if I was him, I would have it wouldn't taken me 30 years to kill him. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's this idea of like we talked about this a little bit before, too, like that. A, if black people had the opportunity that we would do to white people, what has been done to us. But then also that that is somehow a goal. Right. Like that we revenge is a desirable thing that we want. And so a, a part of the question that I want to pose too. And we can continue to talk about uh, Schultz is is like watching this movie. Who do you think this movie is for? Right. Like, is this for us to watch in the same way that, you know, Inglorious Bastards was supposed to be like, you know, uh, a World War Two kind of Holocaust like revenge catharsis film where you know they kill hitler and they do all the things that people wish they could have done sure. during world war ii and here we have a movie where Django whips whips an overseer and Django blows up a plantation and Django like does all these things that so you might think black people would want to do but like is this did you watching this movie not even were you like go Django, but like were you like was it a cathartic film for you where you felt fulfilled in the revenge fantasy aspect of it or as i was kind of thinking is revenge just a white male fantasy right like is death wish is all these other movies where a white man is just fed up with shit and he gets a gun and he goes and he does the things that Track need to be done that have wrong because them. nobody's nobody's gonna do it so he's got to do it right he's got to be the one to yeah. do it is that for us like do we want that because i I personally don't want that, but it's I, I also think you're like, onto something there. I think you're is, onto something there because it it is. I think you're right. I think you pose a very specific question because it's and it's almost twofold, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, we don't like black people have really no need for revenge. Not even revenge. We don't even want revenge off of slavery, which is we, what we, white we people want, fear most. We want restitution and justice. We want restitution, <laughs> reparations, and justice. Like <laughs> those things alone, right? And then leave us the fuck alone <laughs> on top of it. But also, also, so like I said, White people's worst fear is literally black people uprising and being like, remember slavery? We back. <laughs> watch out, watch out. That's their worst fear. However, Quentin Tarantino presents a situation where the black person actually gets that revenge. And in the movie, 
we don't get re- we as black people don't get the specific revenge like we don't kill candy we're not the ones who do that we blow yeah. up Massa's house more as like a a visual like metaphor yeah yeah it's more like a visual metaphor for like yeah we act, we did it we finally got over on slavery of course slavery existed and persisted but we did not it in this moment this is, not yeah. not in this motherfucker though not Candyland though yeah so he presents us with like the one revenge fantasy that he thinks we want right he thinks we want revenge for slavery and sure maybe blowing up Massa's house at the time might have been nice but it's not necessarily like what we want out of the situation so like as a revenge film it does the thing right it it does the thing we get the house blown up at the end but it's it's still kind of moot it's still kind of empty because that's not even necessarily what we want so right i think two things can be true at once though i think everything both of you just said is correct i also think i like the way you die boy is a bar yeah <laughs> yeah man oh it's it, it's a hot line in the movie right yeah. it's a hot line so because the thing i i so especially now getting involved in, in these levels. Damn, I'm going to have to watch this again. I have to now. Uh, <laughs> this is the first time I'll go back after the fact. But go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, getting involved in leftist Twitter and left tube and a lot of uh, spaces where I'll just say there's a lot of white revenge energy. And there's plenty of black folks there. It's also a lot of queer folks there. And also being older, I'm pushing 40. So... Sometimes I'm like, ooh, y'all are y'all are real hot right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm like, is it is it me that I don't feel that this heat y'all got? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I try to be empathetic to the fact that, especially for like sexual minorities who don't have as much iconography to fit their that identity around, you know, the Stonewall, but we don't even know everything that happened with Stonewall, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, like, right. So I, I I try not to shy the revenge fantasy like a bit over the top element to, to how that energy comes off mm-hmm. because the thing that we have to remember and this also and this is also just black folks in general we are still products at this point of white supremacist capitalist patriarchy so there's so many black men who don't realize that their fantasy of a perfect world is where they're the white man mm-hmm. like. The 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 video that has gotten me the most hate mail is the the butt breaking video where I essentially attacked this nature of black homophobia um, that I've seen pervasively like right now with Lil Nas X and Lil Boosie like sure. brothers like yeah. stop you know what I'm saying so yeah. like there's a lot of brothers and a lot of black folks who are not even that in in that realm who would wouldn't mind some get back wouldn't mind some catharsis and have very much attached an element of their worldview to this fear of retribution that they they would they would be all the way there i know a couple of brothers like that i argue with them all the time i tell them that energy we better served in your actual community like helping folks mm-hmm. but i also try to be empathetic that i also have an experience well, I don't have any trauma related to white people. You know what I'm saying? I don't have any real race trauma like my mother has, my father has, or right. some of my cousins have, you know what mm-hmm, I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
And so like when you have that trauma, and that's why I also be respectful to, you know, the queer fan base that I've, that I've uh, amassed. I don't have those traumas. Those traumas are still very real and relevant and affect their perception. So although I like, I think as a whole black folks would much rather, if they say, look, the, the red pill is you get revenge. The blue pill is you get autonomy. I know we take an autonomy. Yeah. But but like there's gonna be three folks that's like, you know what, I'm good on revenge. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> well, and but and the thing about revenge as well is like when you when you look at it in this movie in particular, but if you extrapolate it out to just like in general, like people have different ideas of what that means, right? Like not yeah. everybody's revenge is we kill them all, <laughs> get them all out of here. Like some people's revenge is like, you just have to go sit over there and you don't have power anymore. And like, you just, you, you have to just live, maybe not how I lived, but like, you don't get to make decisions anymore. Like yeah. you're just out the paint. You right? have to watch and, me grow and excel. Right. And so I, th- I think that's another element of it too, where you see a lot of we can go down the list of all the movies where a white man again picks up a gun and just says fuck it i'm gonna do it myself right and like black people if we're if we're talking about historical slavery right like black people did say fuck that you know like haiti as a nation said fuck that right like it's not like black people never used violence as a tool for liberation but it's always when you look at like the the full encompassment of it is that black people have never used violence as a tool for subjugation, I guess, in right. the way that it's been used on us. And so when you think about revenge, like, is that revenge or is revenge just enough to get the autonomy that we're looking for? Right. Is, like, is, 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 revenge in the white supremacist capitalist with all the big, cool leftist words. Yeah, which is what Tarantino presents to us, it says, right. is this cool? And then there's revenge in the the essentially the the African tradition or the African American tradition, which is community. You know what I'm saying? Forgiveness, for better yeah. words. You know, like the whole "we are not our ancestors" thing that. Yeah. I'm always <laughs> about. Right. Um, so yeah, I I I think I agree with you. Just saying, I guess I'm trying to co-sign is that. Yeah, there's violent revenge, and then there's retro uh, retribution. Yes, yes, right. But then there's, there's also the larger element, which well, before we move on to to this talking point, like, did anybody else have any other Schultz notes or thoughts on Schultz as a character? I mean, honestly, that's kind of straight up what he is. I mean, we presented him as the the main things that he does. Yeah, with a, a, a good and bad, right? Yeah. Well, and I will, the last point I will make is what we've, we talked about a lot too, Cameron, is that like Schultz's intentions and desires Mm -hmm. are singularly focused, meaning that Django and Hildy, yes, you know what I mean? Like I'm hoping these black people, right, do this one thing, Mm -hmm. but it's not like Oh no, I'm I'm tearing down institutions or I'm I'm using, you know, the power and autonomy that I have to make larger changes. I personally know these two black people and so I'm willing to do this for them, but black people, I mean, you see it throughout the movie. It's kind of interesting like in the beginning scene, 
he frees Django specifically because he needs him for a job. There's right. three or four other slaves standing there. And I think he was like, you can go down to the town and like see if there's somebody who can help this gentleman and his leg and all this stuff. Or you can pick up that gun. You can go over there. You can shoot this man. You can get this wagon. You can get out of town, right? <laughs> but the thing that's lacking in that whole situation is these are three black men in the middle of whatever this is, Texas, mm -hmm. Kansas, so you know, some part of the country. Texas, this is Texas. Texas where they find him. Where are y'all going? You know what I mean? Like he, he's like, hey, there's the North Star. Good luck, you know. But like he, his intention isn't to help them in any real right. way because they're not useful to him. Django is useful to him. He right. will help Django, right? And then once he's formed this bond with Django, I will help Django and Hildy. But like just any old black person who needed help, like if a black person was being beaten on the side of the road as he was driving by, I don't think Schultz would stop and do anything about that. I think he's in that sense of like, we're to Omar, it's all in the game, right? Like, this is just what's happening. What do you want me to do about it? Like, what, uh -huh. what do you want me to stick my neck out for some random black person in peril when I have other things to do, right? And so... I think that's another facet of his character where it's like, I, and this happens in a lot of white savory movies, right? Like I'm invested in helping. It's the blind side, right? Sandra Bullock is help is invested in helping one black person achieve, but she didn't go back to that school and say, is there another one? Is there, you know, is there more? Are there other kids that need help? Should I, you know, right. Should I continue doing this? It was like, no, I helped the one and that's enough. Right. You know, So the one thing I'll give the movie to their credit though, versus the blind side and your green books and all the other joints mm -hmm. is that most savior movies depict that one event as emblematic of making a huge difference and that that person's yeah. move is like significant whereas it kind of clearly depicts shows as no this is just the thing this is just the thing i'm doing now yeah. it doesn't try to overplay that particular factor which yeah. probably saves the movie as a from from getting drunk, right? So if they don't <laughs> really try to play up souls as a slate as a savior, like that really would have hurt the film. So yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's move on to the Quentin Tarantino of it all, and kind of speak to a larger point of the film, and that is, this is a movie about a black man who takes revenge, you know, in a slavery setting made by a white man, written by a white man, like, you know, Quentin Tarantino. This is Quentin Tarantino's interpretation of what Black people want, basically. This is also, like this, this is also his first go at, or what? Because Inglourious Bastards is after, right? Yeah. No, it's before this. It's before yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. So this is his second go at revisionist history. Because yeah. the first go around is Inglourious Bastards, where he empties clip after clip into... Hitler. Hitler's face. It turns into Swiss cheese. Literally turns it into Swiss cheese. I mean, it's cool to see. <laughs> it's yeah. dope to watch. But did you do what you thought you did? And what did you really set out to do? Well, and that's Other the than question. Present, present an option like, oh, this is nice. Right. And I think that's that's another larger question is, what does Tarantino do well? Right. He does genre well. He does dialogue well. Sure. He does. He stages, you know, scenes of violence and all that stuff in an in a artistic way or in a cool, exciting way. And 
he's got great music taste, right? Great needle drop moments in the movies, all that stuff, right? Yes. But, and here's the issue, slightly within Glorious Bastards, more so with Django, and we're going to get into this in just a minute too, about the difference between those two movies is like when you take genre, right? And this, and this is, this is a spaghetti Western, yes. right? This is also, you know, a, a pulp revenge film, right? And then it is also, I guess, a historical, yeah, it's a buddy comedy. It's kind of like a historical, not drama. It's but definitely like, a buddy comedy for a lot of it. Yeah. And so, but like with, with big genre, genre trappings and elements, mm-hmm. uh, but it is, it is also what he does best is, is exploitation, right? Like exploitation falls, like the umbrella of exploitation covers a lot of what he likes to do and gets into, right? Yeah, yeah. And so when you look at the idea and concept of exploitation and kind of, you know, pushing the boundaries of things and, you know, that's another one he loves, loves, he's a habitual line stepper. He loves really just like, how close can I get to the line without people yelling at me? Or how many times can I cross the line? Before yeah, I was say, how, too, ma- how many, many people can I endure yelling at me? Because people right. will yell. Right. And so it's one thing when that's Reservoir Dogs, right? It's one thing when that's Pulp Fiction. It's one thing, even when that's Jackie Brown, you know, which does have a black lead, right? It's another mm-hmm. thing when that's actual for real history that you're interpreting. And also, I think, Cameron, Recon- we talked- And recontextualizing. Recontextualizing. And we, you, you talked about this a little bit after we recorded the Dance of the Wolves episode of like, so Django blows up the slave master's house, right? for a second in your mind, you're like, damn, yeah, that was cool. And then you think about slavery and you're like, well, nothing changed, right? Like nothing is, what what was accomplished in that act, in that moment, because we all know how the story plays out. Like we all know what happened. And so even that moment of quote unquote catharsis, like what is the point of this movie in the sense of like, what what Tarantino does whenever he does these things, right? Or anytime that he's got like just awful, terrible, racist, whatever. like they're a joke, right? Everybody's a joke. Candy's a joke. The pseudo Ku Klux Klan in the beginning is a joke. Yeah, he's, they literally do shtick for like, yeah. there's a whole <laughs> shtick scene for like at least 10 minutes of yeah. what not putting the holes in the for you asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't put the holes in the hood properly. Like some of them only have one hole to see out of. Yeah. And even like you said, like he's in the movie as a slave trader and he literally gets blown up. Like, you yeah, know, there's like yeah. so much of it where he's very clearly winking at the audience like these are bad people. And we're, I feel like that's his his level of uh, performative allyship. Like, yeah, he's like these white slave traders are idiots. They're dummies. Yeah. And yeah. slavery as a concept is very foul. Yeah. Right. The big difference is that at the end of Inglorious Bastards, when they turn Hitler into Swiss cheese, it's actually problem solved. The problem mm-hmm. solved. The Holocaust is over now. We killed the general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. There's like versus, you actually solve. You actually save the Jews versus yeah, yeah. like you blow up Mass's house. You blew up one plantation family. There's literally they're littered all over the country. It's a fear yeah. of victory. Those slaves that were there that weren't in the house, hopefully mm-hmm. not, will now be sold to different plantations. You split up a bunch of black families. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That we're probably already split up to begin with anyway. Sure. (laughs) So I think the thing that I want to get into with Tarantino specifically, because we know how he gets down. Yeah. And we know what he's about. Like, 
is is this something that you can do with all of these genre tracks? Can you honestly and with nuance explore slavery? How far can you push these boundaries before it's just a joke, right? Like how far, how far can, can you, can you pull these things into yeah into a narrative before they become camp? Right. Like and is and and is that because I'll I'll find the quote real quick just a little tease of some of the reaction to this movie is that (laughs) when you look at what Spike Lee had to say about it, he was not not happy. Yeah. He was very, but when is he honestly? No. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, but I mean, he was basically like, this was a, yeah, this was an insult to my ancestors. Like, I don't want to see that movie. I don't want to hear about that movie. I don't want anything to do with that movie because like slavery is not, you don't play with that. Right. You don't, you don't mess around with that in, in a, a Pat Spike Lee response. Yeah. And like, I get where he's coming from. Right. Like right. I understand the idea. I personally, when it comes to slave movies, I've seen enough, you know, like they have, they serve a purpose, right? Like obviously sure. It happened. It is history. It's part of our history as Black people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's something that we continue to reckon with to mm-hmm. this day. Nothing has really been resolved. Congress has not even actually apologized for slavery. Like, it's still <laughs> a thing that is like, oops, you yeah, know. Right. Yeah, no, <laughs> but, you are 100% correct. But at the same time, right, like, the depictions of slavery and slaves, there's levels to it, right? On mm-hmm. the one hand, you've got just real bad slave made for tv movies not talking about roots but other movies that are just kind of like with the wind. yeah like here, with here, the wind. here are them slaves and like ooh, wasn't yeah. it hard to be them and all them that slaves. stuff yeah but you know and then on the other end it's like beloved right where it's just like oh wow like tony morrison like wrote a masterpiece of a of a novel that really breaks down the pains and the hardships of enslaved people while they were enslaved and the trauma that like reverberated after enslavement right like and there's i would say that's the middle and then further on you have like uh i, I did a review of it janelle monet's in it oh, oh antebellum. Uh, antebellum antebellum thank you um where it's essentially just torture yeah mm-hmm. you know so like there's a spectrum maybe tony right. in the middle right and so you've got stuff where it's like to not be genuine and honest about the horrors of slavery is like to write a Texas uh, history textbook where it's just like, oh yeah, like, well, it was kind of bad for them. And like, they didn't get to eat cake, but also, you know, they were happy on the plantation. Like sometimes they had holidays, you know, like all that Mm -hmm. shit where it's just like, okay, like you're lying out your ass about it to make people feel better. And then there's just like, we're going to show it to you. Like, you're going to watch slavery in action. And even part of Tarantino's deal with the movie where he was like, the, the actual history of slavery was way more violent than anything I showed you on screen. Like, you shouldn't be appalled. You shouldn't be disgusted by this because, like, if you actually saw real life, what was happening, I've seen pictures, I've seen documentation. Like, it was like horrible un- unimaginable stuff so like if you're offended by this movie you know like just you can't even conceive of what slavery was like right and i think he's talking to the point that he knows his movie is exploitation he knows his movie is a cartoon yeah like you know what i mean 
Django Unchained does not present itself as fucking historical fact. No. Well, it, it, like it, it, it sets itself in a world of historical fact. Yeah. But also a woman is lifted off of the ground by a single bullet. Yeah. <laughs> in this movie. Oh, like, like a, like a, a cartoon sound effect when she flies. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's wholly ridiculous. But I guess the, the question that I'm trying to pose is like, yeah, like is we can we can you know slavery in the context of this conversation but even just in general like historical atrocities traumas etc like is there room to even play around with that in the sense of like i think there should be do we always take it a hundred percent seriously or is there room to play around with it but then when we're playing around with it what's the limit like where do we say okay but hold on a second like you know like now 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 it is a joke like now we're actually crossing the line where like you know we we should never really get too comfortable with what we're seeing or like you know even if there is an element of like yay you know he shot the slave master or whatever like because we have to endure 45 minutes of black people and terrible trauma and pain you know what i mean like what what, yeah one thing that i've mentioned in a couple of my videos when i look at media Um, from this window in time is that the Obama era had us feeling real generous. (laughs) You're not wrong. It's, 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 and and had everybody like, it was, because if you think about, so we compared it to the Holocaust movies, or to shit, to his Holocaust movie. Um, You couldn't have made Inglorious Bastards 10 years after the Holocaust or 20 years after the Holocaust. And there's like numerous at this point comedies and like ridiculous farces about the Holocaust because the distance from the Holocaust, the damage of the Holocaust, well, I'm saying this a grain of salt as a non-Jewish person who doesn't fully get it, but just from perception, the way we feel the Holocaust is very much as a capsule in time at this point. This horrible thing happened then. Slavery, we know very well, still has ramifications on everything we're doing right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when Obama was elected and we started getting into this post-racial society bullshit, it was almost like, hey, can we start doing, cause, cause don't get me wrong. There are really funny things you can do with slavery, with all kinds of fucked up things about the black experience. I, some, I, I would look at like literally the entire series of the boondocks for that mm-hmm. example. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. Exactly. There's tons of room for creative and comedic and other things to do with essentially the history of slavery and mm-hmm. black, you know, struggle in this society, but you can't joke about it because it's still going, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And so it's like, you, if, you know, your homeboy gets sick, you're not going to clown on why he's sick. When he gets better, he's like, man, your ass is sick as hell. Your goofy ass shouldn't have ate that. You should have wore a mask, whatever it is. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's a big part of it, is that at the time, I don't remember thinking like Spike Lee thought. Mm-hmm. I remember because I think we're all high off Obama, literally. Um, <laughs> and so it didn't fully, like, I didn't fully engage with the problematic nature of making a slavery action buddy comedy because 
I wasn't feeling as bad about all that shit as I did before and after Obama. Yeah. Uh, and of course, this is not a this is not a you know, this is not the critique Obama show, but, but Obama's presence did definitely feed into a, a collective psychosis in this country. I would right. say, yeah, I would say I would go even further and just say like that emboldened black people and, and white people and white people to, <laughs> to to just feel that everything was solved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or I, I will say white people were the ones who probably thought everything was solved, but black people definitely got a little just more comfortable. Yeah. yeah, it yeah, doesn't take were, a lot. It doesn't take a lot for white people to get bold. But uh, that's when we started. <laughs> that's when we started inviting people to the cookout. Yeah, yeah, we were well, just we were handing out passes to the cookout left and right. And so that was a really cool dance. Here's a pass to the cookout. Like it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me get the let me get the drop ready because. Can we talk about Quentin Tarantino in this aspect because? All of the things that we just said, right? Can Quentin Tarantino make this movie? And what I mean by that is when you when you when you look at everything that Feek just said, right? About like, okay, there's gotta be a level of sensitivity to it, there's gotta be a level of understanding to it. Like, can a white person make that movie? And not even just from the standpoint of like, should they be allowed? Can we should we let them do good? Yeah, yeah, white yeah. white people have made stuff before that has spoken to the black experience, whether or not it was directly involved with with other you know black people like assisting and helping along the way, or you know they 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 understood at least a facet of it and stuck to that, and then you know made something that's like okay yeah we get it like that's I'm all I'm always shocked to to know that uh, a white man directed the Wiz, yeah what but he, yeah but he you didn't know that. No, <laughs> for real, and you and you've seen the Wiz, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I've seen the Wiz. It's just, <laughs> it's well, just I'm blown away. Who wrote the Wiz, though? Well, no, and there's no way. No, there's no well, way. Black people created the book and lyrics and score, obviously, because so just you can't fake that. the funk. I can't. But, I can't. <laughs> but, a white man, Sidney Lumet, director of Dog Day Afternoon, many movies, honestly, but Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, Serpico. Yeah, Serpico. He, he did network? This he did dude, network. Okay, so All right. So he's a beast then. He's a beast. It. He's a beast. But he was also able to bring you the whiz. Yeah. Well, and, he, and even like a movie that we've talked about before that we both really love, Last Black Man in San Francisco, directed by a white man. Directed by Joe Talbot. Yeah, co-written by a white man. A lot man. of people thought it was directed by that dude, Jimmy Fails, who was in the movie, but it was directed yeah. by Joe Talbot, who's it, his friend. Yeah, and Joe Talbot also co-wrote the movie with him. Right. So I like, that. I thought that was a show. That's not, what's the dude's name? Obviously, I'm wrong, so never mind. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you should definitely watch it. It's, it's a fantastic movie. movie. Maybe one of the best movies of the past 20 years, honestly. Yeah. Uh, it's where I know Jonathan Majors from before, you know, everything else that he That's, was doing. That, was that movie introduced the world to Jonathan Majors. Yeah. But all that to say that, yeah, white people, they can do it. Like, it's they, not it's, like it's they're, they're banned from it. But I think when we look at specifically the Quentin Tarantino element of this, right? Sure. Quentin Tarantino... I'll make a correlation that's probably not obvious, but I'll, well, I'll explain myself in a second. Quentin Tarantino 
very much like Tyler Perry, right? In that Tyler Perry, you're you see my face you, screwing up, right? You see you, that, right? You I ain't telling. Wait for the wait for the hook. Wait for yeah, the hook. Yeah, you ain't you ain't telling Tyler Perry shit. Tyler Perry writes it, directs it, does the whole thing. Again, brags. I don't have writers. I do it. I do everything myself. Yeah, it's so all it me. Very true. Quentin Tarantino, same thing. Nobody's telling Quentin Tarantino anything. Nobody's writing Quentin Tarantino's movies for him, with him. He does all of this on his own. And so with a movie like this, nobody's going to say, oh, Quentin, I don't know about that, man. Like, maybe we should. And even if they did, he'd be like, you know, full, full uh, Principal Skinner energy. Like, maybe it's not me that's wrong. It's the children, right? right. Like, maybe right. it's not me. Am it's I you. You don't get it, <laughs> you know, so I, he's he's very much got that energy because the thing about Quentin Tarantino that is very problematic and a lot of the ways that he talks and acts and does all this stuff mm-hmm. is in interviews. He has talked about how he grew up. His mom would take him to black exploitation films and he would hang out at jazz clubs and like be around all this black culture. Yeah, his origin and story is wild. <laughs> he's got all this stuff where he's really like not I'm black, but like. I get it, right? I've been yeah, around enough yeah. black people and I and and Riz is my friend and like all these other respectable black people are my friend. Right. And like I, you know, like I've got all this stuff going on where like you can't tell me anything about what it is to be black in America because like I basically have lived that shit in, in more or less, right? Quentin so, Tarantino is when you have the white homie that gets money to, to really act upon his shit. There's one thing to have the white homie and y'all all in the in the neighborhood still. You work at Target. Mm-hmm. You work at Foot Locker. Y'all just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. It's another when he becomes a millionaire and gets to like yeah, and he's validated that that nonsense on the world. Yeah, he's he's validated. He's one hundred percent validated. And I'll make another correlation that a lot of people probably will not see. But like when you contrast, so we, on, on one end you have Quentin Tarantino, right? Who like is basically just chomping at the bit for a black person to let him say nigger and like <laughs> go full in. Like he's really, he wants to be in the barbershop uh-huh, talking uh-huh, with everybody. Yeah. Like he's, <laughs> he's got opinions on like the blues and, and all like black exploitation films. And he really wants to like, he, he really wants it. He wants it exhausting. real bad. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like he's trying real hard. He's doing all of these things. And look, the man's a genius, right? Filmmaking aspects, like he knows film. He's able to make films that are just like, nobody else can make these kinds of movies. Give it to Quentin Tarantino, right? But when it comes to black people, he's he's a habitual line stepper. He really wants to be down real yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. On the other end of the spectrum, and this is where, you know, stay with me for a second here. On the end of the spectrum, you have Paul Wall, right? Paul mm-hmm. Wall grew up in Houston. He grew up around black people. He is part of the community and culture. And never, not once, has he ever asked to be down. He's just Paul Wall from Houston. People see him wearing grills. People see him riding in the Cadillacs. People see him. But it's not fake. That's just who he is. He's never tried to act as if he's anything other than who he is and the community that he comes from. And that's why Black people love Paul Wall, because he is down. Not in the way that's like, yeah, I want to be with the crew and he's chill. Yeah, yeah. You can hang out with Paul Wall. You can kick it with him. He's not going to say wild shit. Is Paul Wall a perfect human? Is he beyond being problematic? I don't know the man. I can't speak to all that. Mm-hmm. But he is not giving you that same energy where like 
he is validated and authentic because that's him, right? Like if he, he's never claimed to be anything else. No, right. that he's just he's living what he knows. And so black people can see that on site and say, for sure, I get it. Right. Like I, I dig it. Right. But on the other end, and look, black people love Quentin Tarantino, too. There's lots of black people, whether it's Sam Jackson, whether it's Sidney Poitier, whether it, like all bunch of black people have, have vouched for him, spoken up for him, cape for him. You know, sure. it's, it's not that he doesn't have any black people that, you know, are coming to his defense. But I say all that to say, again, like, is Quentin Tarantino the person to make this movie, right? Like, yeah. is, is all of that that I just ran down that energy that he has is he the one to come in and create a movie that has i don't know what the right tone of it you know right i don't know what the right tone for this movie would be but like yes he he made a good movie from a filmmaking perspective it's great it moves great the pacing is great like the action sequences are great he does a lot of great filmmaking stuff but when it comes to Again, I ask for us as a black audience, we're going to go see this movie. Is this a movie? Did he make this movie for white people? And I have to say he did because it feels like there's a lot of moments where we kind of, like you talked about, are we seeing this through Christoph Waltz, Dr. Schultz's point of view? Is Dr. Schultz like the overall moral arc of the film where we're following his ups and downs and how he feels about things. Cause we kind of check in with Django from time to time, but he's just mad all the time because he's on plantations. So like, of course he's upset. <laughs> and that's why I was her character because he just doesn't have enough to do. So to answer your question, I, I, I jumped in and said, absolutely not, but I'm going to take that back for the slavery buddy comedy action comedy action movie. Tarantino's the perfect person to make that movie because that's a try hard, edgy thing to do with slavery. It's honestly, who else is going to come up with that? Right, exactly. (laughs) If it it was somebody, uh, if it was a real white homie that understood. Like a film director who's who's the white homie who could have possibly made Django Unchained? No, he would have never made Django Unchained. That's what I'm saying. He would have at best have made I don't know. I don't fuck with any slave movies. I can't. I, I refuse to say <laughs> a slave movie. <laughs> um, he would have made the nebulous slave movie that you're gonna put here on screen if you guys are you were like. Yeah, he yeah, made yeah. That. But like in terms of like the ridiculous, over the top, yeah. campy thing that Carantino made, that's exactly what a guy who wanted to be down, who wanted inward passes, would have made. I think you're right. I think you're right in in saying that like I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to go big idea. I don't want to go I, 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 I've I, been I, my last two takes have been big ideas. So let's yeah, Okay, okay. So I'm going to go micro macro, you know. This movie is obviously a white savior movie. This movie is obviously about a person who is trying to do something altruistic and provide an, an opportunity to a person who's not able to who really doesn't have the autonomy to do the thing that he wants to do, right? Mm-hmm. He's providing him that opportunity. You can honestly paint the picture that this is what Quentin Tarantino's wanted to do the whole fucking time, mm-hmm. which is just like, I want to be down. And how do <laughs> I, how am I going to be down? If I make a movie where the black guy wins at the end, where it's not, it's not necessarily about the white person, even though it is at the end of the day, but the main character, the lead, the person whose character's name is on the title of the movie, 
they're the one that gets retribution at the end. And I think this was a little bit of his way of being like, guys, yo, like I'm with the shits, y'all. I'm with it. Yeah. Your boy QT is <laughs> is 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 here to help. Whatever you need, get at me, fam. Yeah. He probably thought it was really he he probably came like you ever so I grew up in like a really well mixed suburb. Okay. And so like like TV mixed, where it's not really ever mixed like that. I, I, I anyway. Um and no, so no, you no, go into had, it, go into it. Yeah, you had a handful of like white homies, you know, that were like at some point in time said, you know what, I'm over here with y'all. Let me figure this out. Yeah. And they're like a they're they're there's a bell curve. Right. A couple mm-hmm. of the white homies was from the rougher part of the town I, I grew up in. So they just was always only around black people. A couple of the white homies was around black kids in the nicer part. And those were just their friends. And so they, they adopted that aesthetic. A couple of them just like black girls and they got to high school and they figured it out after that. It's a weird, you know. And so on the more problematic end of that spectrum, I don't know how to completely depict them, but it's Tarantino. And what yeah. I'm thinking about is the handful of times that a white kid thought he did or had something so cool that the black kids would think it's cool too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I yeah, just yeah, imagine yeah. that this movie is what Tarantino, that's Tarantino's thing. Like black kids, so, so seriously, look, 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 look. Slave movie, action movie, revenge story. And he's just expecting us to be like, damn, damn, that's still QT. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think this is Tarantino's way of ingratiating himself amongst black people. Fam, he's like, yo, guys, y'all see what I did? Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I, mean, I got y'all. There's a reason why his first choice for Django was Will Smith. Yeah, there's mm. a reason for that because Will Smith. White people love Will Smith. White white people and black people love Will Smith. Yeah. Right? So, like, who better to, like, get you on his side than the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Yeah. Than, like, literally the number one box office star of, like, the second half of the 90s. Your black friend, Will Smith. Your your (laughs) black friend? Your buddy from TV? Yeah. Well... There's a there's a reason that, and honestly, I think there's a reason why, when it came down to it, the person who got cast was Jamie Fox, mm-hmm. because again, white people and black people love Jamie Fox. Yep. Regardless of any of his mistakes, or regardless of any of, and I'm not even saying he's a man of mistakes. I'm just saying he's like, regardless of his actions, or regardless of, yeah. uh, regardless of anything that's kind of happened to him throughout Hollywood. Yeah. Jamie Foxx is a dope dude who's been able to do stand-up, can play the shit out of the piano, can do a hell of an impression. He's on Emma Living Color. Like, He's one of those black dudes who's just like, dude, that guy's got it. I love him. When he shows up to the party, it's a party. You know what I mean? And he he can legitimately act, too. Like He is is a good actor. I would say he's a better actor than Will Smith. You're correct. Most you are correct. The top-tier black actors, I think he's probably the best Thespian. So he won the Oscar for Ray. Yeah. Winning the Oscar for Ray is like one of the most cathartic moments I've ever had at the Oscars. Being like that, I saw a movie, I saw a performance that I agreed was 
the best thing I had ever seen in a long time. And that performance was rewarded. Mm -hmm. That was incredible what he did in Ray. Yeah. So like you tell me what's better, Ray or the dude who passed up the Matrix to make Wild Wild West. (laughs) You tell me. Yeah. You tell me who black people like more. Well, uh, very quickly, because there's a lot I still want to talk about and I don't want us running running forever in this portion of the conversation. But (laughs) we do have to talk about Samuel L. Jackson, a.k.a. Stephen, a.k.a. Oh, yeah, because he is he is cooning it up in this movie. But specifically, I want to talk about it from the perspective, again, of Quentin Tarantino, white man, desperately wants to be down, writes this character. And you can kind of look, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at an interview right now that um, Samuel Jackson did about it. Uh, this is with Entertainment Weekly. And this, is, this was an interview that was done a little bit after Django came out. So like, this is him kind of looking back on it. But the interviewer asked, you know, Stephen is, is a thoroughly contemptible villain and to me even worse than DiCaprio's candy because of the hypocrisy yes. of his character. And do you feel that way? And then Jackson responds, Calvin is a reflection of Stephen. Stephen raised him. So Calvin is a total reflection of who he is. I like to think of him as the Dick Cheney of Candyland. He's the power behind the throne. Calvin is not the biggest, the brightest candle in the room, right? And so basically, like, the main villain of the movie, even to Sam Jackson, is Stephen, right? And so you could say to Tarantino, honestly, because he saves him for the final act. And so, again, what are we saying with that decision? Because, you know, like Samuel Jackson is I don't I hate to call him Tarantino's pet project, but Tarantino loves Samuel Jackson and wants to put him in every single movie that he's in. Samuel Jackson loves Tarantino. Like he would kill Samuel Jackson. (laughs) Yeah. And put his skin on his skin. Put the Sam suit on. Yeah. And and Samuel Jackson loves Tarantino. He loves being in his movies. He loves the characters that he writes for him. He loves it. And even, you know, like Sam Jackson says in the same interview, like when he was presented with the idea of the character, you know, he was kind of like, you know, you you approached me 15 years too late to be Django, and now you want to be to be the most hated Negro in cinematic history, right? You know what I mean? And he, so he, like he, he Samuel Jackson. Is, what a love, young Sam Jackson, Django. Yeah, Sam, that would have been crazy. That actually would have been crazy. Young Samuel Jackson as Django would have been great, but Sam Jackson in general, like, he's with the shits too, right? Like, don't right. don't let the Capital One commercials fool you. Like Samuel Jackson is down and he's, he's a morehouse not, brother he's not yeah like, yeah he's Former not he was yeah no he was in the streets for he real was, yeah so he like he knows what's up right and so right. like i'm sure there's a level that he was playing this character at that he understood and got and was bringing to the screen that was not written for him directly by tarantino right mm-hmm. but i have to wonder again let like, extra stink on that yeah. What is Tarantino trying to say? And what is Tarantino's intention in presenting Steven as the ultimate villain of the movie? Because what is left unsaid <laughs> in so much of that performance and the presentation of the character is like Steven is a coon, right? Steven is like yeah, yeah. stepping for Massa. He's there for it. He's down for it. We're presented with like subtle layers of him understanding his position in the house. And Bruh, that... it ain't all that subtle. Man. Well, well, but more... when Candy dies, the first thing that happens is 
he runs to his side and right. cradles his dead body well, and cries over it. Gives it us like, a great meme. It's yeah. hilarious. I swear to God, I laughed so hard in the theater when I, I saw that. More questions here. Because here's my thing. That character, so the problematic stuff aside, not disagreeing with you then, because I, yeah. I think I see where you're going in that is it Tarantino's place? It almost comes across as, you know, the real problem is y'all, right? Like, so. Well, kind of, but also, like, did he even realize what he was trying to say? And yeah, because, so, like, <laughs> as a structural concept for the movie, like, yeah, we need it. Candy's dead, but the problem isn't solved yet. So in order to solve the problem, the problem ends up being the guy who's left alive, which is Steven, and he's, like, super evil. Yeah. So well, we Fee, gotta Fee, kill him. Yeah, if we go ahead and, and, and so get- what I'm wondering, because here's the thing, that character, the that cool is so accurate. I don't know how Tarantino does it with with all his other baggage, if that makes sense. To right. me, it had to be a lot of Sam Jack. Um, oh, sure. feedback and ad living. Like there was so much ad living, like Sam Jack probably made that cradle spot. Like he was like, no, that was pick this motherfucker up and cry. Cause well, I don't know, because the shot is in slow motion. It seems planned. It's it's so <laughs> funny. It's it so hilarious. It, it could have been ad libbed on the set, though. He could have been like, yeah. oh no, but my character would then oh that's go true. run to him and pick true. him up. That's true. Yeah. But my point is that it's it actually just presents a conundrum. It's a paradox now. So you have Tarantino, the try-hard white homie that wants to show you the cool thing he made for the black kids. Yeah. But then you have it so it, and it has all these like huge glaring issues. But then you have this perfect depiction of a, a relatively like nuanced issue within the black community. You know what I'm saying? Like white folks don't know what the coon is for real, for real. Mm-hmm. They, they know, like they know Herman Cain versus I don't know, insert Herman Cain's opposite. Barack Obama. <laughs> Barack Obama, right. <laughs> But like they don't know how to engage with it as well as it's depicted. Did he just steal Uncle Ruckus? Like I don't know. It really just it really just sets off a lot of questions in my head as to how that character can be so accurate to the core of how those people work. To the experience, yeah. But but, but Tarantino didn't experience it. That's what I'm saying. Like he never. Yeah. Uh, But he would tell you he's been really really close. Possibly, possibly. I, I, but so what, what I think about when I think about the character of Steven and just watching it, you know, having watched it earlier today is like when you think about coons throughout history, right? <laughs> like <laughs> play, play the play the his, like the history channel music over that, like um, <laughs> specifically in this time. Right. In the totality of it. Right. White supremacy is the umbrella which everything lives under. Right. And so like sure. we're looking at these situations why do black people coon it up right like what is what is that why does that happen right and so today candace owen coons it up because there's money in that because she sees that she can kind of work her way into a pseudo position of power maybe understanding that all of that can go away tomorrow maybe not you know, I'm not quite sure what's going through her mind, but like sure, but she going to get her coin right now, going to get your coin right now, going to get your influence right now, going to going to put yourself in a position 
this is how the white people listen to me is I say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Like, I agree with you. And also, I'm going to get some of my points in there. And then you can come back and say, and Candace Owens said that and she's black. So that validates what I said. And like, it's a it's a feedback loop. It's completely We're, not racist. Yeah. So you can kind of get into these situations. Right. So like the reason to coon in 2021 is like get the money get the power get the influence even if it's for a short time and not a long time you know what i mean and just generations of self-hatred being built in and all that stuff right oh for sure to coon in these times i'm not saying that there's a legit difference but the real difference is you are a slave Right. And so for Samuel Jackson, for Steven, for the character, you are cooning from the standpoint of like, I am tired. I don't want to be whipped anymore. I don't want to be worked anymore. I don't want to do any of this shit. I'm an old man. I want to figure out how I can maintain my value so I can stay alive and they don't sell me. But I also don't. Maybe. Yeah, I've been. Look, I might hate niggas, too. I've been on this plantation for, for how long? I hate myself. I hate black people. You know what I mean? Like, that's definitely a part of it. So, they black. Yes. Yeah, don't don't forget that, too, because like, yeah. even though it's survival, it's also a mindset after a while. Yeah, no. Been there for a minute. Self-hatred is built into it on purpose, but also like and you I mean, you know, we talk about just the multi, like not all slaves were good people. I guess you can say that like some of them are selfish, self-serving. We're all human beings, right? Like, you know, there's really, is there even a good, bad, or are we all in kind of a spectrum of like, not day to day, but like black people are not a monolith. Yeah. So like, you know, sure. There are slaves that had their own selfish means at mind and they just wanted to get theirs, but there's a level of protection in it of like, if I could just not be killed, right? <laughs> like if yeah. I could just live another day, how do I do that? How do I ingratiate myself to these white people so that I am not the next one that's getting the whip, that's the getting sold off, that's getting whatever. Yeah. And so it's not to say that, oh yeah, of course, like ev- everybody should be doing what Steven's doing, but it's more <laughs> to say that like, I, I don't know if sense right like I don't know if that was built in there because Samuel Jackson is playing this character as a villain right as like the villain of the movie like the he movie is it, he is bad, set up as he is set up as the movie's villain he is a bad person he is ultimately he ruins Django's plan he you know gets Django sold off to this mining company. He's going to kill, you know, the, you know, and, and he's playing it. You see it, right. He's kind of playing it from this position of like, like he says, he's kind of the Dick Cheney of like, when he's around candy, he's, he's got the cane, he's walking around. He's, but when he's by himself with the other slaves, like he's, he's a different person, right? Like he's, he's drinking kinda, brandy. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he got his leg up like, bro. Yeah, you're right. You're right, though. Right. So like there is a duplicitous nature to him and he does understand what's happening. But again, I have to ask, does Quentin Tarantino understand what it means to have him as the final boss of the movie from the perspective of, again, Cameron, you're talking about what a great line, right? Like you uppity motherfucker, the, the whole thing blows it's, up. It's really you know nice. what I mean? Like there's <laughs> moments of that where it's just like, yeah, go, go, go. But then when you when at least for me, when I look back and I think about it, I, I don't think he's trying to say anything. I don't think he understood what that contextually what that looked like or meant. But also, I think that Stephen as a character 
with a little bit more right with a little bit more of that like why why is steven right because he's kind of just like of course like yeah you, there's there's the one who's gonna kiss the ass and do all the stuff but like i would have liked a little bit more of like him even just explaining that to Django, right it's like you're stupid you're mm -hmm. out here trying mm -hmm. to do all this shit trying to free your wife i I know I know how to play these white people. You know what I mean? I know how to manipulate the game so that I live and that I I get to die old. You're gonna die mining yeah. in a <laughs> right. You're gonna yeah, go yeah. and and crush rocks till you die. You know what I mean? I'm going but so, to. But then, but then I think, and that's why this is why it pissed a conundrum to me. I think if Tarantino does any of that, he's then crossing a line. Well, right. That's what I'm saying too. Right. Like can't oh, okay. Right. Yeah, it's like I think I don't know. I actually, as I'm as I'm hearing you talk, I think this is the most well done part of the movie in a weird way because mm -hmm. it, it makes perfect sense. It's well played. It's written accurately. You know, big air quotes, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. It's self aware. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I, I don't know. As, as I'm hearing you talk, it's really and maybe I'm misunderstanding your your overall thrust. But to me, it sounds like the only thing he got right that other than that, if you accept the general premise of the movie. Yeah. Right. If you accept the general premise of the movie, that's one thing you can point to and say there's nothing wrong over there from my perspective. Yeah. Well, I'm not even and saying you know, that it's right. I'm not even necessarily saying that it's wrong in terms of like, oh, problematic. He fucked that up. But more just like. I wonder, and this is this is the Tarantino of it all, right? Like, I just wonder if he even understood what you wonder if he was conscious was, of what was happening. Was was Samuel Jackson the villain of the movie because he's Samuel Jackson and he wanted him to say that line at the end of the movie, or is Samuel Jackson the villain of the movie because of a larger narrative, <laughs> like or even like message that he's trying to get across? It's quite, oh, no, uh, it was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> right? Is that is he trying to do that or is he just like? you know, I like Sam Jackson and I want him to scream motherfucker as the yeah, house is blowing and, up. And I definitely think there's <laughs> I definitely think there's a whole lot of that. I think it's more like 80-20. Yeah. Where I don't think he's fully aware of like black people's perception of the coon yeah. character in our society. But I know that he's aware of what it is. Mm -hmm. I don't think he knows completely about how that character is how, how, how we understand that character in our culture right i don't think he's aware of that sam However, jackson does though and that's why i think sam, sam jackson, jackson does and that's why he that's definitely why he picked him to play the role yeah because he lets him do the work for him right and sam jackson again in his performance embodied all of it like he got it from the yeah. facial expressions to he just knew, like how he was moving around like he i bet he got the script up. and he knew it in, instantly he was yeah. like oh I'm, i see what i'm doing here and yeah. on top of it i can go harder and make it like really fucked up you yeah. know <laughs> dude when he i laughed so hard when he kneeled at his side when he died i was like yeah this motherfucker is like for real he is fully gone he's going all the way he, he's going all the, the, the cry um, just like the pure bawling out yeah like, i was like you're hilarious though You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved.
don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved.